Well, good morning, Shiloh. As you can see, I am not here this morning with you physically. My wife and I are out of town this weekend, but you have the blessing this morning of listening to Garrett Bird bring the message. Um, Garrett is one of our seniors who just graduated um, from high school. He's now a freshman in college, and he's been working so hard on this message for the last month or so. So I am so excited for him to get the opportunity to preach this morning. This event and these types of opportunities are so important for the life of our church. Um, for so long, we've told our kids, our teenagers, our college students that they are the church of tomorrow. But you need to understand, they are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. And if we keep telling them they're the church of tomorrow, they're going to continue to wait till tomorrow to lead. But these guys are leaders now in their schools, in our community, and we need to pour into them, invest in them, and give them the opportunity to serve and lead right now. Because these guys, these young men and women, can do amazing things for the kingdom of God. So here's Garrett, and um, I know you're going to be blessed. Pray over him. Let's bow. Father, we are so blessed to have gifted students. And Father, we know that many of them have gotten up in front of this beautiful family over the last few months and served from the front and from the back, Father. And today, we are so excited about hearing a message from your word, through Garrett. Father, pour through him the gift of preaching and open our hearts as we receive your message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning. I am glad that everybody decided to show up today. Nobody walked out whenever they heard Garrett was preaching. Uh, so like Gary said, my name is Garrett Bird. I have been coming to Shiloh um, for about six and a half years. Um, I come with my parents and now my grandparents, they just moved here, so uh, they're starting to come to Shiloh. And uh, I am a freshman in college. That sounds weird. I just graduated from high school. Um, I am going to TJC to pursue a degree in business. Um, so I'm really excited to be here today. So before we get started, uh, just, I'd just like to say a quick prayer. Let's go ahead and go to our Father in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for today. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity uh, that I have to come and I have to, uh, God, speak your word. I pray that today you would, uh, you would just speak through me. God, there would be more of you and less of me up here. God, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, God, would be in this room. You are welcome here. God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was 12 years old, I went to the doctor just for a basic checkup and a basic doctor's appointment. And the doctor asked me at the end of the appointment, was there anything that was bothering me? And I said, well, yeah, uh, I had had some uh, um, pains in my ankles and my heels and my feet. And so uh, we had always just chalked that up to growing pains, and you know, I was 12 years old, you know. Uh, and so after that, uh, the doctor looked, and he uh, concluded that I, uh, it was indeed just growing pains, and that I should take a break from sports because of these growing pains. Now, if you know anything about 12-year-old Garrett, you know that that crushed him. All five feet, one inches of him. Yeah, you can go ahead and show that slide. That's a baller right there. 
So, you know, if you, if you knew this kid right here, you knew that not being able to play sports absolutely crushed who this kid was. You know, I identified myself as an athlete, you know. I had always thought, you know, that Garrett Bird is an athlete. If you would have asked 12-year-old Garrett, who's Garrett Bird? I would have said, well, I'm an athlete. Now, of course, I would have, you know, mentioned that I was a Christian because I was a Christian. I was baptized when I was eight years old, and I've always, you know, been coming to church, and I've always been a Christian. But that probably would not have been the first thing that I would have said back then. Um, you know, back then I had taken my eyes off of Christ, and I had put it in something that had, you know, worldly meaning and worldly worth. Something that didn't actually have much eternal worth. Um, and it was a good thing that I actually did end up taking a break from sports because it gave me a very good opportunity to reorient myself around Christ. It gave me a chance to say, no, my identity is in Christ, not anything of this world. Um, you know, God wants us to love him, and he wants us to choose him every day. And it's very important to him that we follow him, and it's so important to him that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us, so we can have that, that hope of eternal life with him. In this life, there are about a billion and a half things that we can uh, center our being around. There are so many things we can put our identity in. I mean, have you ever scrolled through Netflix? There are so many shows on there that, you know, can take up so much of our time that, you know, probably aren't even good shows. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we can get caught up in. Some of these things are not necessarily bad things. You know, maybe like your work or your school or, you know, things you do, things you do at school like uh, sports or, uh, you know, band or, you know, you get caught up in so many things that aren't necessarily bad. But when we uh, start taking our eyes off of Christ and focusing our whole being around these things, that is when those things turn into bad things. So what are some things that you put your identity in? What are some things in your life that, are, that if they were not in your life, your life might just couldn't go on? Like tomorrow, if you wake up and you've been fired from your job, would you question whether your life could go on? Um, what is something that maybe you put too much stock in? Is it a job or maybe a relationship? Or maybe it's something like your past that defines you. When I was 14 years old, um, I had a concept explained to me. Now, imagine a wagon wheel, an old wagon wheel. You can go ahead and put the slide up there, the old wagon wheel. There we go. So imagine this old wagon wheel, okay? Um, now, this wheel represents your life. It re represents who you are. Now, your life needs to be supported by, you know, it needs to be supported by things. And so those are the spokes on the wheels. So those spokes, um, they may represent, you know, things in your life like entertainment or a relationship or work, play, food, friends, family. I don't know. Just, you know, whatever is important to you, that's what fills up those spokes. Now, in the middle, there needs to be something that supports your life. That is your rock. There needs to be something in the middle of that wheel. For you, right now in your life, what is that? What supports your life? Since the beginning of time, people have been putting one thing or another in the middle of that wheel. Now, unless you put God in the middle of your wheel, everything else is going to feel hollow. You can pour countless possessions and countless money, you know, into that, into the middle of that wheel. But unless you say, God, more of you 
and less of me. I trust you in control of my life. I want you in the driver's seat of my life. Unless you say this, everything, or you're going to have a hard time finding you know, true purpose in your life. My dad has always told me that the decisions you make today can and will affect you tomorrow. What happens, or what you do today, will determine what happens to you tomorrow. That could be a good thing, or it can be a bad thing. If you make good choices, those choices can pay off. However, on the flip side of that, if you make bad choices, those bad choices can end up hurting you. You reap what you sow. If you don't ask Jesus to be the king of your heart today, tomorrow, something else will gladly take that place in your life. Something that maybe you don't want your identity to be in. We have to remember that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for those that he can devour and destroy. If Christ isn't in the middle of your life, in the middle of your wheel, everything else will fall apart. What are some things that you put your hope in? Is God in the middle of those things? Um, in Luke 14, 25 through 27, um, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. When I first read this passage, you know, the big thing that stuck out to me was the use of the word hate. Um, in, in today's world, hate is, you know, it's a bad thing. You know, if you say the word hate, it's kind of, you know, frowned upon. It's a bad thing. I mean, why would Jesus tell us to hate our uh, mother and father, our, you know, wife and children, brother and sister, and even our own life? Why would he tell us to do that? Um, but actually, if you look um, at the Greek meaning of that word, in the Greek language, the word does not mean hate as we know it today. It means love less. You see, we're not told to hate our father and mother, and brother and sister in our own life. We're told not to put it before God. God isn't telling you to give up uh, your friends and family and the things that are close to you. God's telling you not to put those on the forefront of your life. What are some things that maybe you put above God? Are those things really worth it? Are they good enough to put in front of God? There's a company called I Am Second. And they make t-shirts, wristbands, and they have a cool little website about um, putting Christ first in your life. And a while ago, I bought one of those wristbands that said, I am second on it. And my mom saw that I bought that, and she said, well, shouldn't that say, I am last? And, you know, of course, as always, she was right. <laughs> um, you know, it should say, I am last, because in order to put Jesus first in our lives, we have to put ourselves dead last. Not second or third. We have to put ourselves all the way in the back. We have to put ourselves last. We're told in Matthew that the first will be last and the last will be first. There's an acronym called JOY. It stands for Jesus, others, and yourself. In the passage, we are told not to be selfish people. However, you and I are inherently selfish people. We were born selfish. When I was a child, why would I cry? It wasn't because, you know, my mom was hungry. It was because I was hungry. It wasn't because I was un or she was uncomfortable. It's because I was uncomfortable. You know, I was a selfish little baby. We all were. Um, uh, being a selfish, a selfless Christian is something that you have to grow into. It isn't something that we're born with. 
Uh, continuing on in Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 28 to 33, Jesus tells us, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Jesus is very upfront with his expectations of what it takes to be a follower of Christ, is he not? We're not being tricked into anything. He tells us straight up that we need to count the cost of being a disciple. Uh, no used car salesman has ever told you to count the cost of a car before you buy it. You know, we're not being tricked. We're told to figure it out. Do you want to follow him or not? If you do, that's great. But it's not something that he'll force you into. God is not saying, oh, you know, carry your cross a few days a week. See if you like it. Keep the receipt. You can take it back. You know, try out Christianity for a little bit. He's saying, carry your cross daily. And back when Jesus was preaching this message, that was a very real thing if you decided to cross the Romans. You would actually have to carry your cross up a hill and be nailed to it. So that was a very real threat in that time. Today in our world, we might not have that immediate threat of torture and death, but we are still persecuted. Jesus tells us in the passage, you have to hate your own life if you want to follow me. Now earlier, of course, we broke down the word hate and that meaning but you still can't put anything in front of him. You have to take up your cross daily, every single day. God said, or you have to say, God, you are the leader of my life, and my identity is in you and you alone. This is an all-or-nothing life decision. It's not a Monday, Wednesday, Friday kind of thing. It's not a Sunday, Wednesday kind of thing. God wants you to make this choice on your own. He gave us free will to do what we want. God, but God wants you to live in his peace. However, the invitation of life requires death. I'm gonna say it again, if you're taking notes, write it down. I want you to remember this. The invitation of life requires death. It requires death. It requires you to die to yourself each and every day. To have eternal life means death to self. God won't force you to make this choice. This choice is all up to you. As we all know, uh, 2020 is right around the corner, and that means the much-anticipated 2020 presidential election. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and talk about politics. I know everybody's happy about that. Um, but I'm going to ask you a question, okay? So if, you're, uh, if you go in the living room and flip on the TV uh, to a news station, um, and there's a politician running for office, and the politician says, if you vote for me and I get elected, you're going to have higher taxes, lower paying jobs, and your uh, quality of living will probably go down. Now who's going to vote for me? Nobody. I mean, what would you say to that? What would you think? Would you just flip off the TV and laugh? I know I would. Uh, but, you know, on the surface, that kind of sounds like what Jesus is telling us to do. He's saying, hey, look, if you want to follow me, you've got to give up your friends, your family, your career, and your very own life. He's asking, if, he's asking us 
if we're really ready to do that. Now this, however, might not be the most suitable example. I think a more appropriate example would be if there is like a great expedition going through the mountains to deliver some much needed medicine to a town of people. And the expedition gets to a very rugged place and the leader of the expedition says, everyone needs to leave everything behind. We can only carry the medicine from now on. You'll probably never see your friends and family again, so go ahead and send a goodbye postcard. See, this is a much better example of the way that Jesus, or the thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the only way that we can be a follower of Christ is if we give up everything. We all want to be close to Jesus, and we all want to have that great relationship with the Father. But what are you truly willing to give up? What is it that you need to give up that maybe you've been clinging on to for a long time and that thing has been prohibiting you from following Christ? What are you willing to give up? Is it everything? In the passage 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're told that if anyone is to be in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. What you used to put your identity in, that's your old self. The Garrett who was so caught up in athletics and sports that he couldn't spend a little time with Christ. See, that's my old self, okay? The new Garrett is the one who has, identity, who has his identity strongly centered around God and his kingdom. When we take off our old selves in baptism, it doesn't mean that we won't still sin. Unfortunately, yes, sin does still come into our lives. However, through baptism, you are not a slave to that sin anymore. Once you center your whole self around Christ and put him in the middle of your wheel, you are not a slave to sin anymore. Last year around this time, uh, I thought I might want to try out for a college basketball team, you know, just to see how good the competition really was out there. Turns out it was pretty good. Uh, I went uh, to practice and like a shoot around with some of the freshmen at UT Tyler trying to, you know, play for UT Tyler. Um, and there were some guys dunking the ball in ways that I've never seen it dunked. And it's like, mm, look at that. Um, and they had us do these one-on-one -on -one drills. Uh, and I got matched up with this guy that looked like, you know, the Lakers were going to draft him. This guy was huge, okay? And, you know, we we're playing one-on-one. -on -one, so I go up for a little jump shot. And the guy jumps up and blocks it with his armpit. I mean, it was... <laughs> I was like, man, I'm going to play ping pong or something. This is crazy. Um, so this kind of ended my hopes to play college basketball. Now, that was fine because, as I said earlier, you know, my whole self, my whole identity was not focused around the sport. However, it was definitely one of the spokes in my wheel. For the past five years in October, I would start basketball practice. But not this year because, unfortunately, I'm too old to play high school sports now. And as sad as I am about this, this does give me a great opportunity to reorient myself around Christ. See, sometimes we get caught up in the everyday parts of life, our work, our school, our activities that we participate in, and we lose sight of the bigger picture. Every now and then we look up and we see that we have lost sight of God just by doing our day-to-day -day activities. Sometimes we come to a crossroads in our life where a new chapter is beginning and an old chapter ends. For me, uh, or sometimes uh, God gives us a wake-up call. For me, that was back when I was you know, 12 years old and it was a doctor saying, you can't play sports for a year. But for you, that might be something much more serious. It might be the loss of a job um, or you know, a relationship ending. A wake-up call that God's saying, hey, look, you haven't spent uh, much time with me. 
But look, I'm still good and I'm still here for you. A way that we can keep our eyes on Christ is pretty simple. We need to talk to him. We need to be in his word. And, you know, another thing we can do is just listen. Be still and know that he is God. Take time to clear your head and just be still in his peace and love. A lot of times we want to pray and we want to ask God for things. And that's fine. We're told. Knock and the door will be answered. Talk to God. We're told that. But we never want to wait for the answer. We never want to be quiet enough to wait for the answer. Oftentimes, these things are put on the back burner of our lives. But trust me when I say that if you begin your day with Christ, and in your day with Christ, it can truly change your life if you let it. Imagine if all of us started doing that today. We all talked to God and read some of his word. Imagine what that would do in, for each and every one of us. I know it helps center my life around Christ. Sometimes when I uh, you know, get going with my day and I forget to do this, it really does change my demeanor for the rest of the day. Like I said earlier, if you don't consciously choose to center your life around Christ, something else will gladly take his place in your heart. Every day, we're told to take up our cross and follow him. Not just a few days a week, every day. Sometimes we feel like something that defines us very much gets taken away. Maybe we want to get mad about that. However, when those things happen, I encourage you to take a step back. Because it might be God saying, hey, you haven't focused on me for quite some time, but here's an opportunity to come back and see that I am still here for you, that I am still good. We serve an awesome God who does not give up on us. Um, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God already gives us opportunities every single day. It's up, it's up to us to take those opportunities. It's up to you to take up your cross and follow Jesus. No one's going to force you to do this or trick you into this. This is your decision and your decision alone. So maybe today you feel led to put on that new life that Christ offers you. You can do that today. You can put on your new self through baptism. You have that opportunity, like we talked about in Ephesians 2. It's a gift of life. And it's yours for the taking. If you feel led to do that, please come to the front as we stand and sing.